Good morning, church, and uh, welcome to our second part of looking at a man after God's own heart. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, not chapter 16, but chapter 17, as we come to this incredible encounter of David and Goliath. It's got to be a favorite Sunday school story, and it's got to be a story that most people know about. And even as I Google just researching and just getting some information on various things, there are, there are many folks that just, I saw some secular kind of write-ups about comparing this analogy of, of David, that, that underdog fighting against the giants. And so it's a story that, it's a narrative, I prefer to use the word narrative because it's an actual account of what happened and not just a story. It's a narrative that people around the world and for generations have been inspired and challenged and encouraged by. And so why don't you turn with me to First First Samuel chapter 17. It's quite a long section to read, um, but I think we need to read it all to get um, um, the full story of what's happening here. From verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judea. They pitched camp at Ephes, Damon between Soko and Ezekiah. Saw and the Israelites assembled and camped at the valley of Eli and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines accompanied, occupied one hill and Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung in his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not... And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The oldest, the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take the ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. 
take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to, to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Goth, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual, usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out, how he comes out to defy Israel? The king, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought out the same matter. And the men answered him, as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled, defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will be deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord will be with you. And Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag, shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. 
Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he, into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard, and after he killed him, cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. They turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Sherim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. And Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I do not know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Just so far in God's word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this gruesome battle scene, as we come to this place where the Israelites faced a physical giant. We come perhaps this morning to you with facing giants of many other kinds. And we pray that as we examine this story and we try and understand the heart of David and what you were doing in his life, that you will plant some of these things into our own lives and into our own hearts today. That you will be glorified in our lives as we take up the stand to fight some of the giants that may be in our way. And so, Heavenly Father, we commit this morning to you, to the glory and to the honor of your name. Amen. What an epic, what an epic 
if somewhat gruesome narrative. Some of these uh, narratives are pretty hardcore when you think about what was taking place. But this is the reality. This is what actually happened. And let's get some background to the story. And we're going to look at some, some of the approaches, some glimpses of the heart of David in this narrative that sometimes perhaps we overlook when we focus on certain elements of the story. Last week we looked at some of the lessons that Samuel had to learn as an introduction to the life of David when David was anointed. Samuel had to learn that God looks at the heart and man looks at outward appearances. Isn't that so significant when you look at the story and, and, and men were looking at the outward appearances of this giant and yet there was just a boy that came and struck him down. And as we come to this famous biblical narrative, there's a bit of in-between information that uh, we haven't read this morning, but there's a portion sort of from verse 14 of chapter 16 up to the beginning of chapter 17. We know from that portion that um, God's Spirit had left Saul and an evil spirit was sent to torment him. And during that time, um, David was caught to come and play the harp. And we also pick up um, at this time that David became one of the office, or the armor bearers, a position of, of privilege, a, a position of, uh, that he could have taken on, on himself and, and, and sort of rose up within that position. So we need to take note of that context. Even though at this point that Saul didn't personally, obviously didn't personally know David as we get to the end of the chapter that we've read. But David was serving Saul, playing the harp. And whenever he played the harp, he was a skilled musician that uh, this torment that Saul was going through would be relieved. And that's the, the kind of context that we find here. We also see that as we read through the text here, that David was going backwards and forwards from this position and going to Saul and then back to his home, going back to tend the sheep, and there was still a commitment for that. We open up chapter 17 with this picture, and there's, a, if I could have the picture before that, and there's a picture of um, the two armies encamped on either side of the hills there, and uh, the Philistine camp is in the red there and uh, kind of in the parts of Judah there. And uh, the Israelite army is on the top of the valley on the other side um, just going across. And they would come every day for 40 days. They would come and they would come out and they would do their war cry. And if you've watched rugby matches, some of the teams have a war cry that would go and uh, they would shout out before they begin a, a rugby match. In, in school in South Africa, each school, traditional school, would have their own war cry. And there's kind of that picture that before um, a battle or before a match that the two teams would come and they would shout out their war cries. And, and that was taking place from one valley, from one side of the valley to the other side of the valley as these two armies would come out every day at the start of every day and come and taunt one another. And every day this champion called Goliath would be sent out 
And he would, as soon as he came out, it tells us here that the, the Israelites were very fearful and saw was fearful. There seems to be a bit of history between um, Goliath's ancestors and the Israelites. Goliath from Goth, and there was some history in terms of uh, Jacob coming and bringing the... Um, so, so, sorry, Joshua coming and bringing the Israelites into the promised land. And um, there were these group of people that kind of held their ground. Um, and, and so there's a bit of long history in terms of um, Goliath's ancestors and the Israelites. And so there kind of was this rivalry between there and, and saw being absolutely terrified of Goliath and at that moment of the Philistines. We should notice in Matthew Henry so wonderfully puts in his commentary about the state of Saul. And he says, the people would not have been dismayed, but they observed Saul's courage failed him. And it is not to be expected that if a leader be a coward, the followers should be bold. How can the followers be bold? How can the Israelites' army be bold when Saul is, is filled with a spirit of, of fear? Because as you'll notice that the spirit of God had left Saul. We found that before when the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, none could be more daring nor forward to answer the challenge of the Amorites. But now the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Even the big looks and big words of one single Philistine made Saul change color. And so we have this place of vulnerability. Perhaps it was the background of that tearing away of Samuel from Saul and support of Samuel um, with regards to Saul. And Saul's been rejected as king spiritually by the Lord. Samuel's drawn away. Samuel's gone and anointed David, um, perhaps not known so fully to Saul at this stage. But somehow the Philistines might have realized that there's politically in Israel, there's a vulnerability to Saul and his army and his whole situation. Now we find them on the one side of the hill, one side of the valley, taunting the others on the other sides. We find this big man, apparently over nine feet tall. And if you think of myself, I'm about just maybe six foot or just above six foot. So if you take half of me and you put it above me, that's how tall Goliath was. And so he was a huge man. And we have fossil records of, of giants, of people that were actually that big. It tells us that he wore a bronze helmet, a coat of scales made of bronze, and if you convert it, it's, it's about 57 kilograms. So a coat of, of bronze scales, this is the size of Goliath. And his coat was so big and so heavy, it was 57 kilograms. That's more than carrying two bags of cement. If your average big bag of cement here in the UK is 25 kilos, imagine carrying two big bags of cement underneath your arm. That's the weight of the armor that this Goliath was carrying. 
He had bronze greaves on his legs. And just think about that for a moment. If Goliath was standing way up there, if anybody would want to come and attack him, they're probably going to attack his legs before anywhere else because everybody's so short, right? By comparison. He had a bronze javelin on his back, so he was well equipped. And a spear with the shaft that was like a weaver's beam. The NIV puts rod, but um, it's interesting that in terms of the, the terminology, you never refer to a weaver's rod. You refer to a weaver's beam. It's a big beam on the, at the start of the loom where all the ends are t- kind of wound around. And then you'd weave, and these ends would come off it. So it wasn't a rod, it was a beam. And the Hebrew word means beam, literally. It's a solid piece of wood. So solid that it would have um, a spear that was attached to the end of it that weighed several kilograms. Seven kilogram spear on the end of that. And so we have this giant coming out day after day after day. And taunting the Israelite army. Saul in absolute terror. The spirit of God having left him. The Israelite army doing no better. And here we find David coming. And he comes and he finds the armies of Israel in the state. As we come and we examine the story here today. I believe there's some lessons that we can unpack as we try and understand the heart of David, as the series is about a man after God's own heart. What do we learn about David's approach? What do we learn about David's heart here today? As you and I face our giants, whatever they may be, our challenges in life, what can we learn from David? We know the story so well. We know how it ends up. But let's have a look. The first thing that we need to notice And it comes from the context of the preceding verses, in a sense. We need to take note of David's humility. Because David was already serving at this point in the courts of the king. He was already serving um, as an armor bearer and playing the harp for King Saul. It was a position that he could have just taken full advantage of. And yet the text tells us that he was going to and forward from Saul and then back to Jesse to tend the sheep. David had not forgotten about his family, even at this age, even in this position of privilege that he seemed to already have at this point. We find that David would go back and take care of his his aging father's flock of sheep. He would be obedient and coming to the brothers and bringing them some food and being concerned. In fact, even Eliab, ironically, questions the motive of David's heart. And previously we've just seen Samuel anoint David and that whole lesson about how God sees the heart and yet Eliab sees something different and questions David's heart. But David's heart is pure in this. We see David's humility as he went back to the fire, his father, and came back and came again to see what was happening. 
came to support, came and asked some questions. He had a deep concern about what was... How, how can it be that the armies of the living God are being defeated, being held to ransom by a single Philistine? This is probably what was concerning him at this point. The second thing that we notice when David approached the challenges here was his godly perspective. David did not fail to recognize who they were. Verse 25, this is what the Israelites have been saying. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father, father's family from taxes in Israel. Now David wasn't interested in that. That wasn't his motive for going to fight. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And he asked this question. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy who? The armies of the living God. Nobody else seemed to recognize who they were. Nobody else seemed to recognize that the Israelites' armies were the armies of God's people, the armies of the living God. And here comes a little shepherd boy into the situation. He says, who is this Philistine? Who is this guy? Who is this enemy that he should defy, that he should dare to defy the armies of the living God? What perspective? And Saul had lost that perspective. And if Saul had lost the perspective, the rest of the armies of Israel had lost that perspective. Who is this that comes to defy the armies of who? The living God. In this situation, the Israelites saw who the enemy was. And we've had a very graphic description of who the enemy was today. But that was all that they saw. They did not look back and remember the faithfulness of their God. They did not look back and remember that they were the armies of the living God. That God had given them victory time and time and time again. And that their God was mightier was mighty to save. David comes and says, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? What perspective? Third thing that we see here is that David was prepared to stand. David's willingness. David continued in the text to speak amongst the ranks. We see Eliab kind of uh, um, questions his motives, but he continues asking and continues to, sp to speak about the situation. Saul, Saul hears about this, and he calls for David to be called into him to, to talk about this. And David says this in verse 32, 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant. Your servant will go and fight him. I will go, says David. Nobody else is going to go, but I will go. Nobody else, out of all the most qualified warriors and all the most equipped and the strongest men out of all the ranks of Israel, they all hid back and stood back. And every time Goliath came and taunted, the armies would step back in fear. But here this little shepherd boy says, I will go. His willingness to go in faith. How is it possible that David could say that? How is it possible that David, that little shepherd boy, could, could say to Saul, let no one lose hearts. Your servants will go and fight him. Find the answer in the next couple of verses. And Saul replied, You're not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. And David says this Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies, here it is again, of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. David says, I will go because my God is bigger. And I'm willing to trust my God. I'm willing to go. He has been faithful in defending me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear on I don't know how many occasions. I, I will go, Saul. I will go. Your servant will go. And here we find David willing to go, the shepherd boy. What an, what an amazing story. I, I wonder, I wonder in all of this whether he was scared at that point when he went out. I'm sure perhaps he was. But then there's that balance of fear and faith. And sometimes our fear of the circumstances outweighs our faith, but our faith needs to outweigh our fear of the circumstances. David was a real boy. He is a real young man. He must have been, a part of him must have been absolutely terrified, yet he still went. He said, I will trust. I am scared. This is huge. This is difficult. But yes, I will go because God has been faithful. The fourth thing that we need to notice about David on this occasion is that he was not willing to go in unproven or with unproven means. Verse 38 says this. Well, just before that, Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used, used to them. Now the Hebrew word there is actually because he had not tested them. 
I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. The NIV says, other versions say, because I have not tested them. And friends, it's really important for us to understand that word tested means, and it means to test the quality of something through stressful circumstances. So David said to Saul, I, I have no experience of this armor. I, what, what you are offering as a means for me to go and fight Goliath, I've not proven these methods. They have, I have no experience of that. I've not been through any stressful circumstances and tested the usefulness of your armor sword and your human means to go and fight the battle. I will go and fight the battle with what I know to have been tested worthy. And in David's experience, it wasn't even the slingshot that he had tested. It was the deliverance of the Lord that he had tested. It tells us, he tells Saul that he's fought off the lion and the bear with his bare hands, a young shepherd boy. And the deliverance of the Lord has, through those stressful circumstances, he's proved the deliverance of the Lord. And David says, no, I will not go with these because I have not tested the quality of this armor. I don't believe this is the means. And David was not willing to go into this battle with human means, with mighty armor. No. I think it's such an important lesson, isn't it? David went not by power nor by might, not with bronze and spear and wood and whatever it might be, or even if he had a big machine gun, no, David was going to go with the deliverance of the Lord because he had known, even as that young shepherd boy in the fields tending his father's sheep, he had known the deliverance of the living God. Isn't that so powerful? tells us that he took his staff in his hand, stick in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David, he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Now the picture of Goliath, nine feet tall, carrying armor over his chest and his body that weighed 57 kilograms, plus whatever he was wearing on his legs, carrying literally a weaver's beam with a, with a seven kilogram um, kind of point on the end of that, um, a javelin on his back, a helmet, and, and equipped like anything else. And there's a picture of the, the previous one before that. Would have, uh, there's that wonderful description of uh, a picture of what, what Goliath might have looked like, um, if you can just have a picture in your own mind. And so that mighty Goliath comes and he looks over that shepherd boy, the outward appearance of the shepherd boy, 
And remember, God doesn't look at the outward appearances. Man looks at the outward appearances. And so here we find Goliath looking over him and despising him. He says, come here and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine in response to this, you can get this picture. Here's this, this jewel that's about to take place. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. The God of the armies of Israel. And what a picture, what a powerful picture here. That young shepherd boy, he comes before Goliath and something so much more powerful. He comes in the name of the Lord. And the picture tells us that, that he puts a stone into his slingshot and he winds up that slingshot and lets it go. And David, with his experience and with the help and enabling of the Lord, can you imagine the chances of that? What are the odds that David, despite even if he's really skilled at this, that he should get Goliath on his forehead and that the power of that stone should actually sink into his forehead? It's, it's gross to think about, isn't it? But can you imagine... God was with David because David went in the name of the living God and there the giant fell face down. Before you knew it, he was dead and his head was cut off. We know what happens with the rest of the story. David, that's the fifth thing that we learn here is that David went in the name of the Lord. We all face giants in our lives, don't we? At some point. They may not be a nine-foot Philistine, hopefully not. But our giants can be circumstances. Our giants can be temptations. Our giants can be illnesses of varying kinds or difficult relationships or work difficulties or whatever it might be. I don't know what your giant is today, but perhaps there's some practical things for us to take away as we also seek to be people after God's own heart. Remember how David continued to be humble. Remember how David... Being in the office of the king, he could have just stayed with the king. He could have just said to his dad, Dad, you know what? I can't come home and look after your sheep anymore. I'm, I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to ride the, the wealth out of this opportunity. And yet we find David going to and forth from his father's house, back to the palace, back to Saul, and back again, and then back to the... That, that he stayed connected. He stayed humble. We are reminded of the humility of Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 2. And Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He also reminds his disciples, Jesus does, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And even as David, we see a heart, we see a glimpse 
of the heart of our Lord Jesus in the humility and even through David's life. David was never about pomp and circumstances. David, later on, he danced before <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem. David wasn't about pomp and circumstances. It's certainly not in this occasion. And perhaps in our circumstances, perhaps before the giants that we find, we need to reflect the humility of Christ, even as it's pictured in some way in the life of David in this instance. The second thing that we can learn from David is that David's conversation was seasoned with godly perspective. Who is this that comes to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this that comes to defy God's people? Who is this enemy in light of who God is? And David had that perspective and he said, I will go in the name of the living God. How often do we lose our perspective? We're reminded in scriptures and Hebrews that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We're reminded in the word about the bigness of our gods. We're reminded in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are chosen people, royal, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people belonging to God. How often when we're facing the challenges and trials of life that we forget who we are, just like the armies of Israel had forgotten who they were. How is it? That just a few months previously, just a short time previously, they could go and fight the Amorites and defeat them. And here, just a little while later, how feeble. And yet we can be like that too. We can forget who we are in Christ. The third lesson is that David was prepared to stand. Everybody else was hiding away. But here it is. Let no one be dismayed because of this Philistine. I, your servant, will go. That's what he says to Saul. Maybe in our circumstances, in our giants, we need to walk in faith and step in faith. Whatever it might be. Do we not sometimes get all frozen up and with discouragement and fear? Fourthly, David was not prepared to go out in something that he had not tested. I didn't, I'd never realized that before. I just thought it was because he's not used to the armor. But that word tested speaks about the fact that David was not prepared to go into this battle without something that he knew that he could rely on, that he, he had by experience known the faithfulness of his God and deliverance of God. And sometimes when you and I are facing our giants and our challenges in life, we make plans, don't we? We want to put our own armor on. We want to go forward in our own solutions. And we fail if we do not seek the Lord's solutions. Because in the past, God has been faithful, hasn't he? And fifthly, David went 
in the name of the Lord. We need to be reminded to go in the name of the Lord. To walk in His strength. To walk in His promises. To walk in His faithfulness. To reflect on who He is. David could go. And the only way that he could go was because of who his God was. And friends, when we look at the picture of David and Goliath, we're reminded so wonderfully this morning in our time of worship that the biggest giant that you and I face is the giant of sin. And Jesus has conquered that giant on the cross. And have we received that deliverance through Jesus Christ? And sometimes even as Christians and even as believers, we find that we are still hindered by giants because we have forgotten who we are in Christ Jesus and we've forgotten what He has done. So as you face your giants, whatever they may be in the coming days, you turn back and look to God. Be a David, as it were. Have the humility of a young shepherd boy. Have the perspective of David. Step out in faith. Be willing. And don't go in our own plans, but go in the strength of the Lord. Because the strength of the Lord has never led us down. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for this Old Testament narrative. We want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we've reflected on David, this young shepherd boy in these instances, this occasion of this war taking place on those two across the valley, on those two ridges across the valley, and then down into the valley as he faced his giant of the day. Lord, we recognize today that we may not face a giant like Goliath in terms of a physical giant, but there are challenges and there are circumstances and there are difficulties that we can learn from David in this. You had planted your spirit and his heart and his life, and he had right perspective. He had courage. He had faith. He had dependence. And so, Heavenly Father, may we face the challenges of life, whatever they may be, with courage, with faith, and dependence upon the living God. Because great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, this morning for this opportunity for us to recognize and to praise your name. Thank you for the opportunity in our worship songs to recognize your deliverance and the ultimate deliverance from sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that everybody here today would know the assurance of that through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are not saved by our own means. We are not saved by being religious and by being good and coming to church every, day, every Sunday. That doesn't save us, but we are saved by your grace and through faith in you. Thank you that you have provided the way. 
to the glory and to the honor of your name. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.